So I once met Chimamanda at an event. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, honestly, on. it was such a wonderful oh. thing. And I had to try and hide my fangirl status. And we talked about kids and she just had a kid. And we we almost set up a play date. And I just want to let you know that, that she and I were nearly best friends. But she's and listening I let that, Listen, I'm still available. With thanks to Baileys, this is the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. Celebrating women's writing, sharing our creativity, our voices and our perspectives. All while championing the very best fiction written by women around the world. I'm Vic Hope and I'm your host for season five of the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. The podcast that asks women with lives as inspiring as any fiction to share the five books by women that have shaped them. We have a phenomenal lineup of guests, and I guarantee you'll be taking away plenty of reading recommendations. Today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Cherry Healy. Cherry is a household name, and she started her on screen career with numerous lifestyle documentaries for BBC Three focusing on her own life. Cherry gets married, Cherry has a baby, and Cherry gets pierced, to name just a few. She now presents Inside the Factory and 10 Years Younger in 10 Days. In 2022, Cherry launched a series with Channel 5 called Women's Health Uncovered, which explored the secrets and taboos surrounding women's bodies. Welcome to the podcast, Cherry. Thank you, Vic. How are you? It's lovely to be here. Well, I'm very, very good. And I'm very, very impressed because you're sitting in front of me <laughs> with um, books of notes. You've brought the novels we're going to be talking about. There's this revision. I am such a goody two-shoes. <laughs> and all I really want is people to think I'm cool. Like, I've got a nose ring, right? I'm cool. You have got a nose ring. I can nose confirm ring, for right? podcast listeners. She I'm has cool. Got a nose ring. But actually, I'm so uncool and I'm a real spod. And so, yes, I've got notes. I've got synopses. And I've bought the books with me, bar one, because I gave... One of them to my daughter. Um, so, yes, I've come prepared. I love this. It's because I respect your time, Vic, and I respect this podcast. Oh. Here I am. No, I can just, I can say to you, no one's ever done that before. Really? That I know of. I mean, we've done a few on Zoom, <laughs> so there's a good chance they could have had notes up on their computer, but yeah. I've never seen anyone bring their notes. What was the research process like? Can, can I just say, do I get an A star? Yeah. Or some kind of laminated certificate? <laughs> I don't have a laminated, but I can, yeah. I mean, we're in East London. I've, I'm sure there's a. I'm sure there'll a, be some shop, shop that does that it. I can, yeah, you know it. Pop into um, the research process was stressful, if I'm honest. Why is that? Because when I first sent you the list, I sent you, I wasn't at home, I was away for work. And I thought back into my years and I thought, okay, there are some books that have really changed me, but much in a much more academic, cerebral way. Mm-hmm. And so I sent you that list and I got home and I looked at my bookshelf and I thought, oh, it's too, it's too late to change. But these beautiful books that have truly and profoundly changed me in every way psychologically emotionally and some of them actually have uh, encouraged me to change my life in a really huge Mm -hmm. practical way and they were just staring at me and they were saying I can't believe we're not on your list and you've chosen ones that make you sound like clever I chose ones for my ego not from my heart and intuition and so they got deleted and I sent you a new list and I thought please I hope Vic hasn't done loads of prep and you very very kindly let me change to books that don't make me sound cool or like the cleverest person in the room but are really like the ones that have really changed my life well this podcast is not about trying to sound cool or clever it's about the books that have shaped you, that have mm. shaped your life. And it's interesting because we look back sometimes and, and think of these books that we love. I know what my favourite books are and often I couldn't tell you a thing about them. I couldn't tell you what they're about, give you a blurb, give you a synopsis. 
but I know I love them. Mm. And actually, it's because they're from my past. They shaped me then, but the books that shape me now are so different. And they're not about proving anything to anyone but myself. And I feel like the books that you've brought today are very much for you. Absolutely. I mean, there are some books that will have a timeless meaning forever. And one of the books on my list was Silas Marner. And that's about a miser who um, takes on a small girl and he starts to value her love and her time more than he does his wealth. And that has timeless meaning for me to find beauty and wealth and value in people and regardless of their status or their money which changes but to value them as individuals because of just who they are and the gorgeous mm-hmm. pot of gold inside them so that is a really important book for me but I, when I, I can't talk about that it's not on my list I snuck it in though no but now we know and but, you know what there's no hard and fast well there is a hard and fast rule it's five books but yeah. if you want to drop some other I just drop that some in. other names but it's a really that's a really important book to me and I remember reading it at school and and feeling like that was a that was a nugget it was it had nuggety goodness in it um, but it's it's a long time ago, and there there are mo- there are ones that I've read more recently that have done more for my life. Well, looking back over the years, from the books that you read as a child and that impacted and influenced you then to the books that really mean the world now, mm. how have your reading habits changed? How have the books that you gravitate mm, towards changed? Really interesting question. Oh, what a great question. Okay, so. I was obsessed with God from the ages of about 18 till well, I still am and but but really intensely from the ages of oh, 16 18 till I was about 25. Are you religious? And, no, I'm not. I don't have I don't wear the jacket of any religion, right. but I believe very strongly in God okay. and I think about it all the time constantly, like all the time. Why are we here? What are we doing? What's our value? What's our purpose? What, what are we supposed to be doing with our lives? And so I think about that a lot. And in my 20s and late teens, it was really, really intense. And I went to all sorts of lectures in funny basements in all over London. And I went to everything. I was, it was insatiable. And I read every book I could get my hands on to about philosophy from all the different religions. And I went to a Christian church for a while. I kind of tried being a born-again Christian for a while because obviously – if you want to exercise a muscle, and I had a really big spiritual muscle I wanted to exercise, where do you go? You mm-hmm. go to your local gym. And in this country, the the, the, um, the religion is Christianity. So I went to the Christian gym to exercise my spiritual muscle, <laughs> but I couldn't make peace with theology. It's It, it can be it can be quite like, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, respect, I really respect the religion. Can I just say really huge? And I learned lots from it, and it was a beautiful time in my life. But it's not very female-focused. Yeah. Twelve disciples, all men, the only women in it are... One was non-consensually impregnated and the other one, well, listen, I won't go into it, but essentially I, I found I couldn't make peace with theology. So I didn't continue. I loved the people there and they taught me about prayer and worship and thinking outside of ourselves and how to deal with the ego. And I really had such a depth of experience there about how to also how to, how to, what to do with that spiritual feeling, right? It's like yeah. you can fall in love with someone, but you don't know how to love them. And I, I learned how to deal with that. So that's, those are the books that I read obsessively. Oh and then God. and the Christian gym. And the, the Christian, Christian gym. gym. And now I'm in a gym of my own. Right. I don't have I don't have other people's equipment. I've got my own equipment that I've learned during that decade. Yeah. So now I have like a spiritual practice that I do and it's really perfect for me. And it has a my a theology that makes sense to me. And I feel like I understand God in a way that makes sense to me. And 
So, but I know that that decade allowed me to have yeah. those thoughts. I would never change it for anything. Well, it's like when you go to the gym, you only really need a trainer for a couple of sessions. Right. And then you've got the tools. And then I dip back into the gym and I'm like, oh, can you teach me a couple of exercises? Yeah. And I read a new book or I think I talk to someone else and I listen to their opinions. And, and that gives me another exercise. Um, yeah. You get it. Yeah. I, I get No, I totally get it. I can see you get it. I totally yeah. get it. And um, what I also totally get is wanting to see how it plays out in situ I remember yes. um I remember actually after losing a friend being so devastated and so bereft and so lost I didn't know where to turn I couldn't make sense of it so I went to church mm. and it was not something that I'd thought to do since I was a child I, I didn't care to do and yet I, I needed to look somewhere yeah. for the tools to help me um navigate these things I was feeling and that was the only place that seemed to make sense. Did was it help? To go. Did you find something yeah. there? Yeah, I found something. I didn't actually go back. I didn't feel like I needed to go back. Do you know I what went. that was? I, I mean, these things are so hard to articulate because they're so abstract. But do you, what was it that you found that helped you? I think there was a solace. I think it was um, hope that was so... Uh, potent in that space oh. that it imbued me. Oh, it's giving me goosebumps. <laughs> I just needed it then. I don't need it now, yes. but I needed it then. Yes, absolutely. I unfortunately think that religion has really killed or has really uh, turned people off to God in this country. I mean, you know, uh, it's such a shame because it gives me so much every day. It gives me perspective and hope and joy and it's it takes me out of myself and takes me deep into myself mm. and when I read books about other people's experience of God, you know, really old texts, you know, monks from, from many centuries ago, and they talk about those feelings. So, you know, there's this idea that if you, if you have a spiritual practice and you don't go to church, that you're this new age. No, you're not. Christianity didn't invent morality. Christianity didn't invent spirituality. Women were wailing in the woods a long time <laughs> before, we had, before we had a set religion that you had to follow. And there was a God with wrath. Oh, wrath. I hate wrath. Wrath is shit. I don't know if we're allowed to throw on this podcast. You can say Okay, that. fine. Wrath is shit. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, I mean, w you know, women have been following their intuition and um, instincts and emotions yeah. and wisdom for many years before we had any kind of organised religion. Well, they've also been writing books. I actually think that that theme that I've just talked about is probably the headline for every single book is about yeah. finding your finding your true self and finding your, and actually I was when I was doing my notes like a total sport. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> there's a really connective muscle through all of these books and that's freedom yeah. it's for freedom from what people tell you should be and you know work eat sleep repeat well what else is there and and surely I'm built for something more to, to experience something that's more elevated and I think every single one of these books touches on that well let's talk about your first bookshelfy book which is three sisters oh that's the one at the top of the pile okay. Heather Morris it's oh. on the top of the pile uh, this novel concludes wow. Morris's best-selling the tattooist of Auschwitz trilogy with the fictionalized account of real life sisters held in the notorious death camp it's a beautiful story of hope in the hardest of times and of finding love after loss tell us about this book why did it resonate with you okay I'm really fascinated by stories of the Holocaust. I think there's a brick wall that my brain and my my mind can get to where it just stops. I can't can't get over it. So I'm constantly fascinated in hearing people's stories of of their survival. And each book paints you a different 
picture. It's almost like I'm trying to create a 3D image and every book I read paints a different side of it. But I, I know that I'll never be able to, I'm humble enough, not egotistical enough to think I'm ever going to really fully ever understand what those what that what what that situation was and it's not just the survivors perspective it was people who were you know the nazis who were doing those terrible things like how could those things have happened so mm. i so she's the most wonderful incredible writer i think part of that is so she wrote um the tattooist of auschwitz yeah. and another one which i can't quite remember at the moment what it was uh, i'll remember it um later when i'm probably on on you know at home three in the morning anyway so um her brilliant brilliant skill is she spends so much time researching these stories and listening so all these these are all true stories and this one particularly resonates with me i'm one of four children i've got three brothers and i love them all i also want I hate them often, you know. I will say annoy me loads, I, but you know we're really, really close. You're the same as me. No way, you've one got three three brothers. Yeah, no one of four. Yeah, is that why we're so very charming? <laughs> <laughs> you have to, you have to. Try. Everyone's like, oh my god, you must be such a princess and get your way. I'm like, no. are you kidding me? I didn't watch what I wanted to watch. I had to eat like a tiger. I had to fend for myself. Right. I had to, I had to battle them <laughs> off. I, we used to do WWE wrestling. Yes. Until I got so much bigger. Oh my god, well, I used to have this giant. Beast bag at home in the shape of a in the shape of a burger and their favorite thing was to put me at the bottom of the burger and then sit on yes. me all together and I'd be like I can't breathe so, but you, you you know I also because they were all playing sport it was like either get involved yeah. or be on your own so I'm really good at cricket now <laughs> so, but you kind hit, of you once got hit in the back of the head with a, a turkey and <laughs> fell to the ground knocked out by one of my brothers that's the type of pranks they used to play so you have to watch out you get kicked to the back of the knees on the way up the stairs right so my peripher- our peripheral vision <laughs> yes. is second to none right yeah. and like also I don't get offended it's just water off a duck's back it does shape you yeah, massively and these sisters their, their survival really yeah. depended on their bond so you've got um, three Slovakian sisters you've got Sibi who's 19 Magda who's 17 and Livia who's 15 and they or to cut a long story. It's a beautiful, incredible, unbelievable story, and they end up in the um, concentration camp of Auschwitz. And the first to go are Sibby and Livia. So Livia, who's the small, the youngest one, she's the first one to get drafted because Magda's in hospital, and so she gets drafted to go and work. They all think that they are going to work for the Germans so she she goes mm. I mean they all know something not good is happening but no one knows quite what, what's happening so she leaves and she's quite she's the most delicate of all the sisters and Sibby is much much <laughs> probably more like me kind of chopping wood <laughs> you know in the forest and um she's she's much more boisterous and 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 strong perhaps and she she says I'm going with you so they both go and their journey there is um, unbelievably difficult. Um, and then Magda gets arrested and she gets taken to the camp and they get reunited in the camp. And this story is of how they survive. Mm-hmm. And then when the when the Nazis are, are um, being defeated and they realise that they're losing the war, they sent all of the concentration, people in the concentration camp, they sent them out on these things called death marches which is where they didn't really know what to do with them. They didn't want them in the camp because obviously the implications of that. So they sent them out and it's freezing cold, the snow on the ground. And they just, these these people just have to walk and walk and walk and walk. And they've got armed guards with them. So if you stop or fall down, you're shot. And this is after everything they've endured. So they are 
emotionally, physically, spiritually, very, very weak and at their end, at the end of themselves. And these sisters metaphorically hold each other's hands throughout the entire stay in the camp and through these death marches. And when one is weak, the others are strong. And when the others, and at every single point, one of them wants to give up and wants to die. And they witness horrendous things. They witness people being shot, you know, point blank range in front of them. And they, each of them witness and, and have to go through horrendous things. But it's this bond between them that is so unbelievably powerful and it saves them it absolutely saves them and they um and they they survive so powerful and I love my brothers and I love my family very 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 much but I think as you get older well for me I don't know how it is for you Vic, especially coming from a large family I value them more and more yeah, every, every day. day and I think that's I wonder what it is for you but for me I think it's a case of you re- as you get older I've always been a really optimistic person I always feel like good things are going to happen and but as you get older you realize that life can be it is very tough and it can bad things can happen to good people and scary things happen quite quickly and it can be quite devastating and, you know so so that it's not that I'm less optimistic but I I understand that having people around you that will hold your hand mm-hmm. through difficult things. Obviously, I'm not suggesting I've gone through anything like these sisters have, but reading that story and the power of that bond, I mean, I would I would do a lot to, to make sure that that bond between me and my brothers stays true and you have to get over arguments quickly yeah. and you have to make time for each other and you have to invest in each other and you have to traipse across the country to go and spend time with each other. But, you, you know, that that bond isn't there unless you try. And as I get older, my investment in my family gets more and more, it gets more and more passionate, I think. Yeah, I realised I was doing um, just one of those silly interviews that you do sometimes for um, magazines yeah. and, and stuff. And they said, oh, what are you most proud of? And I found myself saying very, very naturally, oh, the thing I'm most proud of is the relationship I have with my brothers. Wow. And I didn't realise until I said it. And I was like, and it is. Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh, it, it, it really is because thank god i'm so glad i'm so lucky i'm so grateful that i have these three gentlemen who are my support network my best friends Mm. who are so lovely they're the loveliest people and they're always there for me it's the most special the most important thing and you're right in the same way that in this book um there is hope there is hope in the darkest of times. I feel like literally my and brothers you, who are the wars who hopes, they are the hope in the darkest I of love times. That. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> they are the hopes. But they are because you can't buy that. And I'm very aware of how privileged I am to come from a big family because it shapes my view. And when I wake up in the morning, I know that there is a safety net there yes. of sorts. Now, it's it's not something you can buy in a shop. It's not something you can magic up and that's where I think that this story is really important and powerful because the thing that saved them the thing that brought them joy the thing that made them laugh in really dark times the reason they survived was not because of a beautiful designer handbag or because they weighed a certain amount or Mm -hmm. because they lived in a certain place or because they have numbers after their name or letters after their name no one has numbers after their name except robots sorry (laughs) (laughs) or or like aristocrats the the something the third oh yeah oh thank you so much oh I'm into you um so 
it's, you know, the things that often society values mm. that you can go and buy in Selfridges are not the really important things. But you can't, you can't sell this so you don't get advertised this and you know the matrix doesn't sell you um can't sell you this so it sells you bags and products and all those wonderful things that are super fun but this is the really granular good stuff Bailey's is proudly supporting the Women's Prize for Fiction by helping showcase incredible writing by remarkable women, celebrating their accomplishments and getting more of their books into the hands of more people. Looking for a treat to pair with your favourite book? Bailey's is the perfect accompaniment to enjoy either over ice or over coffee. Let's move on to your second bookshelf okay, book now, um, which is We Should All Be Feminists by oh, Amanda Ingrosia-DJ. Great. No, oh. definitely great. I just put this, I've just um, moved house and put my books on my shelf and it brought me great joy to put this on my shelf because I couldn't find it before because it's so thin yeah. and I found it and now I know where it is. This is a powerful <laughs> and personal essay from Women's Prize winner Chimamanda Ngozi-DJA based on her 2013 TEDx talk of the same name. Adichie asks, what does feminism mean today? And sets out her hopes and ambitions for a better, fairer world. What did you love about this? Everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every single, do you know what's so great about it? It's kind of an essay, you know, it's an essay. And it's so pithy and full of positivity and hope. And there is not a wasted word in this book. Mm-hmm. The the word economy oh. is it is it's so perfect. brilliant. And the reason I don't have a copy here is I've given it to my daughter who's just turned thirteen, which is so important. I'm so right. glad you've done that. Yes. Big tick, big yes. mum tick. You know, what? I was on the train um, a few years ago, and I saw a young boy who I found out because I asked him was 14 years old, and he was reading it. <gasps> I was sitting opposite him, a young boy, and. I cried because I was so oh. happy to see it. We love to see it. And he was just reading. It. I was like, oh, is that from school? And he was like, no, no, I just thought I should read it. Which is actually the Ma'am. most perfect bridge. Thank yeah. you so much. That's a pro. Perfect bridge into what this book is about, which is we should all be feminists. And the story, the essay begins with her story of when she's 14 and she's with her male friend and they're talking about books and novels. And he turns to her and says, he says, you're, you're a feminist. And she writes in she writes in her book that it was like hearing the phrase you're a supporter of terrorism like it yeah. wasn't not a compliment and so she went on this journey to find out what a what a feminist is and and she said she went oh and she there's a there's a great um great quote says I should never I, I felt like I should never have called myself a feminist since feminists are women who are unhappy because they cannot find husbands well that's <laughs> honestly when I was little that's sort of what I thought I just yeah. thought I meant burning your bra Absolutely. It's it's angry. Mm. It has a lot of baggage. And I do believe that we should reclaim the word because it's an important word. And I think we have and we are. Well, we are very much so. Um, So she went on this journey and she said, "Okay, well, look, I'm um, I'm a happy feminist. And she's Nigerian and she's an academic. So she went on on a big journey. She spoke to lots of people and she came to the conclusion that she had to call herself a happy African feminist because feminism was un-African. So she said, no, 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 I, I'm very pro-African culture and society. I'm a happy African. And then she went on uh, to speak to other people and they were like, oh, well, you must hate men. So she said, okay, well, I'm a happy African <laughs> woman who hate, who loves men. And they were like, yeah, but you, feminists don't wear lip gloss and high heels. And she was like, okay, fine. So she then called herself, <laughs> and obviously tongue in cheek, she said, I'm a happy African feminist who does not hate men and who likes to wear lip gloss and high heels for herself and not for men. <laughs> 
So obviously she's, I mean, what's so great is she's really funny and she's yeah. joyful and she, she p- paints a really interesting picture of what it is to be a feminist and about the gender differences. And she says, look, we are different, we are different, we're different, right? We have men and women have different hormones, different sexual or- organs, different biological abilities. And that needs to be understood, of course. We're not saying that we're the same. Equality does not mean the same. It just mm. means equal value. And you know, 52% of the world's population is female, but the power very much lands in the male hands. And that's what we need to address. But we don't need to lose our femininity and our, our power in who we are. So, um, so yes, and she talks about having to unlearn all the internalised lessons of what it is to be a woman, right? We're supposed to... Be, be quiet and, and constantly happy and constantly peaceful and we're supposed to look after the home. And and listen, we can be all those things, but we can also be so many other things. And there's a bit that um, I really want to talk about, which is, and I thought this was really clever, and it was just, sorry, I'm looking through my notes. But this is really important. Fan of this. Okay, this is really important. This, was, this is one of my favourite bits in the whole book, and it says, and I'm going to quote her directly so that I don't get accused of trying to steal her brilliance. I mean, I can't. The person more qualified to lead is not physically stronger, is not a physically stronger person now because it used to be, right? So it used to be the most physically strong person. That's how the world worked, but that's not how it works anymore. It is now the more, this is her, this is the more intelligent, it's the more intelligent, more knowledgeable, more creative and more innovative. There are no hormones for those attributes. A man is as likely as a woman to be intelligent, innovative, creative. We have evolved, but our ideas of gender have not evolved very much. So we need to unlearn what we've been told. And I have so much internalised misogyny in me. I look at a man and I think, he's going to save me and he's better at me and he's a better leader. I have that inside me. And that's okay. It's important for us to admit that because we've been taught that. But we have to try and unpick it, which is really, really difficult. Did you grow up in a feminist household? Yes, in a way. My mum is amazing. She's divine. She's heaven. She's wonderful. She she's a feminist in that she believes she speaks her mind and she's intelligent and thoughtful maybe perhaps she didn't leave a feminist life she wasn't encouraged to work she wasn't encouraged to um do anything other than have babies and get married and I know that she would I know we she and I've talked about this endlessly that put her in a really difficult position later in life when things went wrong with the men she was with in various ways and that really left her high and dry and I know that she really was very passionate about me being financially independent and not relying on someone else it doesn't mean that I don't want to be looked after like stroke my head and make me dinner and 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 I love looking after it I love cooking and I love I very much fall into my feminine energy when I'm at home and I love to cook and I love to keep the house tidy and so I love all of those things and I want someone to look after me and care for me and ask me how my day was and care for me but I I I want that to be an equal transaction yeah I I thought for so long that it 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 couldn't be it couldn't be in line mm. with my my being a feminist, and it absolutely can. I I too I, I love. Do you being did taken. you grow up in a feminist household? Um, I guess yes, I guess I did, but I think I didn't understand the potential for intersectionality in feminism. What do you and mean? I was seeing my mum's feminism. 
Um, and it, di- it didn't seem the same as the feminism that I'd read about. And that is because my mum was, like Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, a um, happy African feminist who likes to wear <laughs> lip gloss and loves a man, you know? <laughs> and so I didn't quite understand that she was too a feminist. And she absolutely is because she is powerful yes. and she is spirited and she is, she is joyful, which is radical. For a a black woman in the north of England in the 80s, her joy is radical and it's political. Um, So I've learned a lot without realising I was learning it. Do you think she chose that consciously or is that innately in her? Or is that her upbringing? It's a bit of both. There's really? a bit of both. I think when you grow up to it, because my mum is actually exactly the same as Chimamanda and Diche in so many ways. So Half Yellow Sun, which is about um, the Biafran War, that's what my mum grew up during. Mm. She grew up running away from air raids and being fed by the British Red Cross and being the housing soldiers. I didn't understand what she'd went through, what she'd gone through until um, I read that book. Mm. And it was I was given a bit of context. Um, and... I feel like her coming to this country and making a life for herself, that's a, a bold and powerful thing to Huge. have been able to do, to have a family who are happy, healthy and safe. That is a bold and powerful thing to do. Um, I I love Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie mm. because she tells a story of um, my culture and my mm. heritage, my history, and I come to understand it through that. And so when I read We Should All Be Feminists, a lot of things fell into place about what my feminism could be. Yes. Um, so I, I I love this book. So you need, you need as you're growing up, you need lots of different examples, mm-hmm. lots of different women expressing their fem- feminism in lots of different ways. Exactly. Because, and that's what I think she does so well is she doesn't, it's not dogmatic. It's not like this is what a feminist should look like and this is what you need to be doing and these are the politics of being a feminist. Like your mum is joyful, wonderful and she's obviously imbued that and she's also been incredibly brave mm. and made some incredibly ballsy decisions. And so it doesn't need to look, that narrative doesn't need to look one way. It can look in so many different ways and you can, you can be as feminine or as masculine as you wish. But it's about being feeling like women and men have equal value on the earth. Just quickly, how does your feminism play a role in how you parent? Yeah, really powerfully, I think. I have a daughter mm-hmm. and a son. So yes. my daughter's 13 and my son is nine. And they're both like little gorgeous peaches. They're heaven. And they are, I feel lucky because I really like them as people. <laughs> so I feel really <laughs> lucky about that. Um my, and I want to make sure that I'm talking to them both about feminism in with equal gusto. Yes. And I hope that they've grown up to see someone who has a, um, I'm, I have a masculine energy at work. I'm, I'm ambitious. I'm financially ambitious. I'm, I hope, <laughs> no, I'm not, you know, I have like real gusto and passion in that. And then at home I have, a, I, have I sink into my feminine energy and, I hope that my daughter will be able to see that you can do those two things. And also my son, when if he if he wants to be have, be with a woman and choose a woman, choose a woman. <laughs> choose a, you must choose a woman. Um then I, well no, do you know what? Fuck that. I'm choosing, right? Both of them. I'm choosing for both of them, thank you. I've I've said to them both, I said I get three vetoes throughout your life. All right. But I hope that they see someone loving life and being able to use their brain and ask questions and earn money. And all the rich, wonderful things that come with that, because money gives you choice and independence. Well, I love that your daughter's reading 
uh, we should all be feminists and I'm excited yes. for your son to read it too. So I once met Chimamanda at an event. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, honestly, it was such a wonderful oh. thing. And I had to try and hide my fangirl status. And we talked about kids and she just had a kid. And we we almost set up a play date. And I just want to let you know that, that she and I were nearly best friends. But she's and listening I let now. That, listen, I'm still available. She might. She right. was our winner of winners um, of the Women's Prize. So of all the 25 um, books that have won, well, she was she was the top. I think she's, was, I think, well, she would definitely listen to this, the Office so Door Open. Yeah. Um, but it's very difficult because, you know, you don't, I don't really get a fangirl by lots of people. You know, I just love people for their peopleliness. Mm. But I was, I was, yeah, she's pretty, she's pretty cool. Well, um, if it does happen, <laughs> please can I join? Yes, 100%. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, your third book that you've brought today right. is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. The tagline to this book is stop pleasing, start living. And that is exactly what New York Times bestselling author and activist Glennon Doyle sets out to help her readers to do. Doyle's blend of memoir and personal development guide is packed full of energising advice on how to overcome conformity and embrace your best life. Can you tell us why you picked this book? When did you first read it? Because it's the best book you're ever going to read in your entire life. Like, absolutely heaven so this is I think one of the most influential books of my life and I I left it off this is the one that looked at me on the shelf when I got home and went you got to be kidding come me on, yeah come are on, you Cherry. leaving me behind <laughs> so yeah so this book gosh how to uh, I feel sick even just like trying to sum this book up in words so I read this when I was I was newly divorced and getting divorced is very powerful experience in lots of ways but it also it makes you feel unbelievably naked and vulnerable and someone once once wrote it's like throwing all of your life every part of your life up into the air and and little bits land in different places like your friends change your ideas about yourself change people's idea of you change um suddenly people who've invited you to couples parties don't want you there anymore because you're not a couple you don't fit into the lemon tart routine you know what i'm saying so you know you, you Everything in your life changes, you know, your logistics change, your, you know, your your desperate desire to, and also, you know, we have such an interesting idea about divorce in this country, you know, you, you when marriage was invented, it was an economic and social um, agreement between a man and woman, because women didn't work, men did, so it was an agreement. And that just doesn't exist anymore. We don't have that societal um, dynamic anymore. So we say to someone, when we're 20, God, whatever, I will be with you forever. And we put on a nice dress and we stand in front of everyone we know and lots of people we don't know. <laughs> someone in a dress at the beginning, you know, at the front of the church blesses us. And often we don't even, people don't even believe in God. So it's all just, I mean, you know, it's, I love a wedding. Don't invite me to your weddings. I love them. I'm really good fun at a wedding. But um, they're quite silly. And we used to live until next Tuesday, right? It'd be like, I... I will, Vic, I will marry you and I will be with you for the rest of our lives, okay? I died of it, like, UTI next Tuesday. Okay, women died in childbirth all the time. So you didn't live for how long we live now. How long yeah. do we live now? I mean, if we're lucky, what, six six decades with it's Jeff? A long, it's a long old time. Yeah, so. Jeff, I'm going to marry you and be with you for six decades and we're not going to change as people or evolve and grow. So it's it's quite it's quite amazing when you decide that you're, you're different to the person you you thought you were with the person you with isn't quite the person you thought they were. And you go, look, we're going to go our separate ways. And society goes, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Oh, it's a bad thing. It's a shock. I was I, I was divorced and it took me three, 
three years to decide about what to do because I knew it wasn't the right relationship. And this book really helped me to rediscover myself. And it's all about discovering your 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 true self, your intuition. And she covers th- um, these four pathways. Okay, I'm teach. So for, let me talk about the beginning of the book because it really sets it out. So she talks about feeling caged by society's expectations of us about being pleasing and quiet and feminine and vulnerable and weak as women and she she was a um, a drug addict and she got divorced and this is all about her rebuilding her life and reconnecting with herself and she went to a zoo and she sees a cheetah and the cheetah has been trained by the zookeepers to chase a teddy bear attached to a stick and the cheetah thinks this is life and thinks this is prey and is kind of half-heartedly chasing this teddy bear and she watches this scenario and she's like that's how I feel I feel like there's so much more in me I have so much more potential there's a wildness in me that's been stuffed stuffed down and told to shut up and I there's something in me that needs to come out she watches the cheetah and she really relates to it and she realizes that she's been programmed in the same way that that cheetah's been in captivity and so she's like well how do I break free of my own mental prison so she goes through this huge journey and the story is the fact is the story is incredible but it's also she's always encouraging you to think it's not preachy it's not a preachy self-help book she's not pretending to be a guru as well I think sometimes with I've read so much self-help but you know over my obsession um and I worry about there's a, this idea of people thinking they're self-proclaimed gurus. So I always kind of watch out a little bit for that. It's, it's very easy for people. It's If you've got something to share, it's quite difficult for people not to slip into the guru um, dynamic. And I think she does it really beautifully. She stays really humble and she wants to share her, share her learnings with you, but she never falls into the guru mentality, which I appreciated when I read it. And that's what I loved her for that. I fell in, I completely madly fell in love with her and she's on Instagram everyone and she does daily awesomeness so um so the four pathways that she recognized on this journey are this so the first pathway is embracing your emotion emotion is our guide don't be scared of it fear is a really important emotion don't be scared of that and we've we've lost our connection to our instincts our emotions are the flags so don't be afraid of sadness either it's uh, a note to shift course our brains are supposed to feel everything Mm. it's just how we navigate them yeah a healthy a healthy person can feel the sadness as well as the happiness it's okay you you said your mum was full of joy Mm. do you do you think she's helped you you see me as you you strike me as someone who's in touch with your intuition and your emotions is is that do you think that's come from your mum in part yeah in part um I, i think it's something that's developed over the years though through lots of therapy Oh, which I'm not afraid God to admit at all because God bless, therapy. God bless it. Yeah. Like, um, I think I thought I was always supposed to be happy, actually. Yeah. But I've <laughs> yeah. learned how to be sad well. How do you be sad well? Because it's that's a really hard thing to do. I don't have an answer. <laughs> but it's, it's it, really hard, but it's it a really comes, interesting exercise to try and learn it. It comes from a place of knowing what I can and can't control, yes. for sure. Knowing that whether I'm sad for a reason um, that I can fix or if yeah. I'm sad for a reason that I can't quite identify yeah. and maybe that's something that I need to... Do you know, it's almost, yeah. it's almost just knowing that it's okay to be sad. It's okay. It does, that does the trick or going, I'm scared of that. Wow, that is my internal um, 
you know, cheerleader. Mm -hmm. I imagine you've got a group of women inside you going, no, uh, no, absolutely not. Not today. It would be good if um, we taught kids in school that Mm. it's okay to be sad as opposed to them feeling sad and feeling embarrassed that they're sad or shamed that they're Mm. sad and they're not talking about it. If everyone knew that everyone can be, maybe we'd talk about it. Such a brilliant point. I completely agree. I was at the beach once with my son. Oh, he's just so scrumptiously yummy. And he'd drawn this big um, tortoise in, in the sand with a stick and another little kid came and stomped all over and he'd taken it he was so small and delicious at the time he wailed he burst into tears and someone came up and they were like trying to distract him and I was holding him and I was like that's awful isn't it that's really sad and this person was going have some sweets oh just and they were like oh don't let him cry you're just encouraging it and I said no and I realized that there's two ways to to process sadness there's one which is I'm going to shop or I'm going to have sex or I'm going to do this whatever I'm going to distract myself as you're an adult you when you're a child you need to learn that it's okay to be sad exactly as you were saying and you can cry and you can have a really good cry and there's no shame in it so that when you're older you don't distract yourself when mm-hmm. you feel sad but you allow that feeling to come out and then it ends I think yeah I wish I wish kids were taught it in school okay so we've got embrace emotion yes. number two pathway two is embrace intuition I think we've talked about that it's about learning to get really quiet I heard the other day a great thing. They said, we've forgotten how to be bored and boredom is where really good stuff happens. And I agree, you know, whenever we're bored, we pick up our phone, we scroll, we listen to music, we listen to everything. And we've, you know, when I'm on the loo, I take my phone with me. I mean, I never give your your mind a moment. You never give your mind. So when do you listen to that insidey voice? When do you listen to that quiet voice? When do you get really, it's actually quite scary. About three years ago, I decided I was going to get up early in the morning. So I've always been a night owl. I thought I would, it's taken me ages to, I now get up early and I love it and I go to bed super early. And I was going to get up early and I was going to sit and be really quiet in a quiet house. And having, you know, when my whole of my 30s was was insane, you know, amazing and wonderful, but busy and kids. And I I think I, I was, it's busy. And in my 40s, I thought, no, I'm going to get real quiet again and get t- in touch with myself and get really calm again. But for the first couple of weeks, it was really scary yeah. And felt really weird. The silence was deafening. <laughs> yeah. And I was in the kitchen on my own sitting there going, I feel like such a dick. And 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 I don't know how to do I don't know how to be quiet. And I forced myself to do it. And now it's like delicious. Yeah. Then you love it. Right? You learn and to then love, you love it. it. It's yeah. delicious. So yeah, em- embracing your intuition. You cannot listen to yourself. You cannot find guidance until you shut the fuck up. Yeah. Oh, finding power in your own peace is incredible. Because then whenever you need it, you've got that. You can got always it. go back you've to absolutely that. got it. Um and it becomes really yummy and delicious mm. and like you, I see, yeah, it. I seek it out now. Yeah. Um embrace imagination. So again, you know, I don't want to demonize phones. My phone is the reason I can be a like active mom and you know I can do emails while I'm at the school gates and all these things. So you know and I can you know do work and and do my filming and all these things. So I love my phone, but don't yeah, don't forget to put your phone away and, and think and imagine and read and write and like learn from other people and and what their experiences are. Every book that I read broadens my horizon by another degree. And every time you talk to someone, you really sit and you listen to them. Your brain expands and your heart expands and your soul expands. So listen, read and sit and think. 
And the other one is embrace deconstruction and reconstruction. So don't be afraid to take yourself apart and put yourself back mm-hmm. together at different points in your life. Like after I got divorced, I did that. I took myself apart and I put myself back together. When I was in my 20s and I was discovering God and spirituality and what that meant for me, I took myself apart and put myself back together. And I think I'll probably do that another couple of times throughout my life. I hope I will. Um, and it can be scary, but it's also very exciting and you transform. Um, so her book is amazing and it's all about re- well, finding who you are when you when you decide to maybe question all the rules and she talks about re, re-engaging with your wild self and I'm going to drop another book in here really quickly and there's another book she talks about called <laughs> Women Who Run With The Wolves and it's by Clarissa Estes and it's all about women who live on the fringe of society not bound by its rules and women who speak the truth and I think we need to sometimes metaphorically go into the woods and howl at the moon and reconnect with our natural selves, reconnect with nature and not always be neat and tidy and perfect, but sometimes go a bit wild. Metaphorically, I would say also uh, literally and physically. I Absolutely. I sometimes I like to howl at the moon. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, great, me too. <laughs> Cherry, the fourth book that you brought with you today okay. is Hormone Repair Manual by Lara Bryden. The Hormone Repair Manual is a practical guide to feeling better in your 40s 50s and beyond. In it, uh, naturopathic doctor Laura Bryden explains how to navigate the changes of perimenopause and alleviate symptoms with treatments like diet, nutritional supplements and bioidentical hormone therapy. When did you read this book? How did it influence you? Now, I, about two years ago, I've always been a good sleeper. I used to, I used to go to bed late and get up late. I now get up, I've, you know, tried, well, it's been a process, but I now get up super early and, but I've always slept well. About two years ago, maybe three years ago, I just struggled, such struggle with sleep. I'd wake up at four in the morning with such bad anxiety. And I changed so many things in my life. I stopped drinking. I stopped using my phone late at night. I stopped, I mean, I do drink wine now, but I went through a big period where I just cut it out because it was just messing with me. Well, I thought it was messing with me. And, you know, I have to say, I've massively decreased it now and it's been a joy. But my sleep was still messed up and I was still waking up at four in the morning in like wild, wild panic attacks. And I thought, what the, what the hell is going on? I didn't really talk to anyone about it. And it was making, it was affecting my work. It was affecting my confidence. I was tired during the day. And also I just lost my sense of self completely. And a year ago, I made a show for Channel 5 called Women's Health, Breaking the Taboos. And that was about all the things that we talk that we don't talk about vaginal dryness gynecological problems hormones endometriosis all these things that women almost have like a secret coven that we don't talk about mm-hmm. because and and and, and huge and menopause is a huge one but we don't talk about is perimenopause a lot so perimenopause is the period before your period stop which is your menopause and that can go on for 10 years and women can you can I mean there's something like 36 symptoms and you know I tell my friends that I'm perimenopausal and they'll go no you're not that's ridiculous you're doing that for attention I'm like well I would I would do it for attention because that's me <laughs> but I'm not doing it for attention so I spoke to all these experts and I made this show <laughs> do 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 chitting for the telly and tap dancing for the telly and it was <laughs> only when I'd finished this show talking to all these experts I was sitting at home and I thought, oh my God, I'm perimenopausal. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. The fact that I am I'm, have the privilege of talking to all these experts and it's only when I get home and everything's quiet and the show's over and we've done all the PR and it's all gone out. It's only then that I go, oh my God, that's me. So I change loads of things in my life. I take these fantastic supplements. I do not drink caffeine. I have coffee in the morning and that's it. I stop. I'm really careful about my alcohol intake. My sleep routine is like 
elite elite and it's massively helped hugely and I will go and get HRT I will go and because you've got three hormones progesterone estrogen and testosterone and this is what this book is teaching me this is why this book is really wonderful and every page that I turn I'm learning so many important things about my body because it's like the second puberty right when you're you know, you know, 13, 14, you go through a huge influx of hormones, your hair, your body, every part of your body changes. It's huge and enormous. And we all understand that. And we understand we, and we, you know, we make allowances for teenagers who might get really cross, you know, and the, and the relationship with your mother changes. I want you, I don't want you. And we make allowances for that and we're ready for it. And then when a woman hits 40, well, no, you get fired if you have a bit of brain fog or you just don't get those contracts because you've had a, a you, you lose your sense of self or you haven't been able to sleep. You know, people get divorced all the time because you get high, when estrogen goes, which is your happy hormone, you get unbelievably irritable. And people think, well, I hate my husband now and I hate my kids. And I hate my life. And they quit their jobs. And in, the, in a more extreme case, women kill themselves. So it's serious. It's like coming off a drug, you know, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. They're the things that are running through us. And women are cyclical, whereas men are linear. So when men, it's very difficult for a man to understand what it is like to be a woman and have these different cycles monthly and then also throughout our life. So when we hit 40, the exercise, the way we exercise needs to change. The way we drink needs to change. What we eat needs to change. And I know that sounds a bit intense, but like, oh my God, well, you either do or you don't. You either learn about your body or you don't learn about your body, but it's going to happen one way or another. You're on that train, Susan, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and you can either go to the buffet and ask them what's on the menu, right? This book is teaching you what's on the menu. Like, okay, so what does it feel like when your progesterone goes? Well, your sleep is affected and that's what's been happening to me. So I've tried all, and this, this book is fantastic. It gives loads of natural remedies, loads of lifestyle remedies, but then it also teaches you about HRT and what that really is. So HRT has got really bad reputation because it used to be synthetic, which had problems. And it's now bioidentical, which means it's absolutely identical to the biological hormone that your body produces. So it's much, much safer. But women often don't take it because they think there's problems and they suffer for 10 years. I've known, I met so many women who were on antidepressants for 10 years, said they were felt numb, no sex drive, didn't love their husband, struggled at work for 10 years when actually just a gel estrogen, okay, gel gel when I found out it was a gel I thought you got what it's not this I felt like it was this huge medical intervention HRT and women were scared of it it's always in the papers it's a gel you rub it on your freaking wrist it's like I moisturize my entire body top to bottom every single day often twice a day right like I'm putting on a wetsuit right I'm 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 never not coated in a thick layer of butter and this gel right it's a gel and it transforms women's lives forever it literally makes their 40s really good fun and I have to say I'm 42 so far 40s are a hoot they're a hoot I'm having the best time my children are a bit more grown up I feel very grateful to have them I love and value my career I have a home I'm very but I feel very lucky I'm not ready to hang up my hat thank you very much Right, I'm first on the dance floor, last off the dance floor. There is no R&B song that I don't know the words to, okay? All right? Not ready to get, to, to sit at home and feel sad and like I've forgotten myself. So, and nor should you right? be. So, but these, these things are not talked about. So women mm. suffer, and I'm really passionate about women talking about perimenopause because even a simple conversation with a woman can make her go, oh my God, that's what I suffer from. So anyone listening to this, 
who's not having a great time, who's kind of 38, 39, 40, who's maybe been put on medication or hasn't seen, just go and read the symptoms of perimenopause and it might just make sense. And if your GP fobs you off, go to a different GP in that practice. And if they fob you off, shout really loudly somewhere. (laughs) It feels like it's always been a huge part of what motivates you. Um, Helping women to feel better or understand themselves better in, you know, this work, Women's Health on Channel 5, but also in the documentaries that I've watched for years did and years and years. Did you watch them? Stop it. A you lot, didn't. I, I mean, look, I, wow, this is, this is one of the did. reasons between you and Dawn. Yeah. I, that's why I wanted to work in television. I watched these documentaries and I, and it made sense because it was stuff that you cared about, stuff that affected you. I got why you wanted to explore it. And that in turn was very helpful, not just to someone like aspiring to do similar, but also to anyone watching who might want to learn about themselves. Well, that's just the best thing ever. I love that you watched some of that. I mean, yeah. I loved Dawn's shows as well. I thought they were amazing. And she's got, she's had such candor and she's such a joyful person. Yeah, I loved watching them too. And that, you know, that influenced me as well. Well, we have to move on. I'm, actually, I'm, I'm having a little moment, but we do have to move on. I've have we we have this um, Google Doc up for when we do these, where um, our producers write, "You need to move on." No, you need to move on. And I'm being told you need to move on. So I will I will stop having that moment. I was just having. Uh, it's your fifth and final book this week, which is the Law of Attraction by Esther oh, yeah. Hicks. This book, written by best-selling authors Esther Hicks and her husband Jeremy Hicks, presents the omnipresent laws that govern the universe and teaches us how to make them work to our advantage. It's very powerful stuff. Why did you pick it? All righty, everyone, buckle up. <laughs> okay, now listen, this book is amazing and wonderful when I read it. It blew my mind, but it is, we need not just a pinch of salt, but you need to get just like a fist full of salt for this one because there's some quite intense out there ideas in it. So I would say with every book about this thing called manifesting, law of attraction, take, yeah, a pinch of salt, right? Take what you want with it. Okay. I hugely, hugely believe in it. But um, so Esther Hicks uh, was married to Jeremy Hicks. Jeremy um, has died and Esther is kind of carrying on their work. And she and he believed that they were translating messages from a non-physical entity called Abraham. Stick with it, everyone. Hang in there, everyone. Just, you know, (laughs) close the window, lock the doors. Um, So Hicks describes what she's doing as tapping into infinite intelligence. And what they talk about is the law of attraction. And that is how to create your reality so instead of just being a passenger seat in the bus you're driving the bus every single day and it's how you think that's the deciding factor so you're not just a flesh blob running around until you die you actually have a lot of agency and it's how to do that and they talk about the three laws so attracting creating and allowing and how to how to engage with that law of attraction. So what does that mean? So there are laws, right? There's law of gravity. And I'm not saying this is a science, but there is a thought There is a, a thought that the law of attraction is real. And if you tap into it, you can Im- impact your life. So we all vibrate. Everything vibrates. Thoughts vibrate. And there's a natural flow, which is you're, you think something, thought, word, and deed. It's even in the Bible, I think, somewhere. Thought, word, and deed. So you have a thought and then you action it. And then it happens. And it's about teaching people that that's going to happen whether you have input or not, right? You wake up in the morning, you think, 
oh, it's a rubbish day and, oh, God, Susan's going to be... Sorry, Susan. I should, I should use a different <laughs> Susan name. again. God, no. So Susan, I'm sorry, Susan. Um, oh, God, Susan's going to be difficult in the office and, oh, God, that meeting's... Oh, and I'm really scared well, about that. Because she's perimenopausal and she's, <laughs> she's not checking it out. <laughs> I'm going to send Susan my book. Um, so, um, so, you know, you can... You can how you think can really mm. impact your life and how it plays out and the mechanics of the universe and how how your life rolls out in front of you. So it teaches you how to do that. Now, I have read a lot of these books that talk about law of attraction and manifesting. I mean, I've been doing it for 15 years. I was at work one day and I have this notepad, which I've actually got here with me. I've always got a notepad with me. And I write lists and they're work. Some are work lists, some are to-do lists, and some are just lists of what I want in yes. my life, right? And my boss was endlessly looking at me with this list and he was like, you're doing it wrong. And I was like, what? And he's called Matt. And he said, you're, just, you're doing it wrong. You're writing your lists all wrong. And he taught me how to manifest. He taught me about manifesting. This was way before I'd read any books or anything. So how do I write a list right? So... He was like, you're writing in the future tense. You should write in the present tense. I was like, well, that sounds really wacky. And he's like, no, you write it in the, it, it increases. It's like putting a jetpack on everything you've written down. And it's you feel like a real idiot. And there's a system of what you do to create a, to create a list written down of what you want to happen tomorrow, this afternoon. Like I wrote, I manifested before I came here this morning about what I wanted, how I wanted my energy to be and how I wanted the day to play out and what I want to happen this afternoon. And and there's a system of how to do that. And I hate to plug my own thing, but only because it's like if, so I teach manifesting and I teach how to live intentionally as a course, not because I'm trying to like, it's not even because I want to make money. It's it's because it's worked for me in the most profound way. And it works, I think, especially for women, I'm going to say, because women are often not taught how to be powerful in their own life, right? We're taught how to be many other things, but often not how how to be really ambitious and ask for things because it's greedy, especially financial. And we're not taught how to be financially ambitious about how to be really ambitious in our careers in a really powerful way. So there's different stages. So there's things called self-limiting beliefs. And those are all the stories that we've picked up over the course of our life. Maybe education, maybe historical, maybe it's naturally within you. I'm too stupid. I'm not gorgeous enough. I don't have the right friends. I don't have the right, I don't come from the right demographic. And it's about having, recognizing those and unpicking that. And then I, we teach me, my business partner, Nat, we teach, so I run a course with this wonderful woman called Nat. And we teach people how to get really, really quiet and to listen to intuition. And then, but these things sound so great in an Instagram meme, but they're actually really difficult to do. And then how to write an amazing list, a life-changing list of what you want. And so, yeah, the law of attraction is all about that, about how to attract wonderful things into your life. I also discovered manifesting last year. Oh, changed my life. Have you changed put it life. into practice and has it helped you? Yes. Yeah, really? Oh my God, you didn't even blink. You were like, yes, oh, it does. Without a shadow of a doubt, mm. on every level. Um, wow. It, like professionally, romantically, yeah. um, in just in, in how I feel, in in setting my intention, my energy for the day. I, that really, really resonated with me because I feel exactly the same. There's something kinetic that happens when you write something down. There's something yeah. that happens between the brain and the hand. If you ask someone, tell me what you want, they, you know, you make something. When someone writes in a full sentence, physically writes not on their keypad but actually with their with their hand 
people have, have integrity and they tell the truth to themselves because it's a pain in the ass writing, right? Especially now because no one writes. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's dumb. I think it feels lovely. If you've it got a nice beautiful. pen, nice oh, pad. It feels oh, beautiful. so many notepads. But it means that you have to think about the beginning, the middle and the yeah. end. So you tell the truth to yourself. So you write what you really want and you're left with this amazing uh, kind of spell book almost. Yeah, writing your lists in sentences with adjectives as well. Yes, and um, be specific. Yeah, be very specific. <laughs> I don't just need to buy a bowl. I need to buy a beautiful bowl to put my stones in that I found on the beach the other day. That's the one. <laughs> and you found that it's impacted every different area of your life. Absolutely. Um, Cherry, you said that the search for freedom is the thing that sort of links all of these books and these choices together. So what does freedom look like for you now? It's emotional freedom. It's a freedom to really love myself outside of the expectations of others. It's a freedom to choose. It's a financial freedom. I think women, I think women should be always encouraged to be nurtured and cared for, but financial freedom allows you to make choices when things go shit. So I will always teach my daughter, no matter how wealthy or if her partner is wealthy or has any, to never stop never stop learning never stop stop um improving professionally and never stop watching her finance ever um and yeah emotionally spiritual freedom continuing to get deeper and to understand myself and the world around me more because it's magical and it's exciting and it's where joy is and appreciating all the tiny little things and then really going for gold with the big things i love that if you had to choose just one book from your list as a favourite. What? No, no, I reject this question. I'm well aware of the fact that you have five books here today, but there were others as well that were swapped in and out. This is going to be difficult. Which one would it be and why? Okay, I'm going purely off instinct, Mm -hmm. but I think it would have to be Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And I think part of that is because it's, why is that? Why has it spoken to me? I mean, you can see this book has been read multiple times and there's, it's just, it's haggard and there's notes. Look, it's, oh, there's look, notes you do the and there's like, well. and there's, it's, it's, there's like highlighter in it and it's yeah. just, it's all sorts. This book is easily digestible for everyone. There is something in it that is powerful and, and perception changing in it for everyone. It is a beautiful story. She is not trying to be righteous. So it's so easy for your heart and to connect with it. She's a beautiful person. I've learned so much from her and I suppose I also continue to learn from her. So yeah, her book is really life-changing. I can't thank you enough, Jerry. I've, <laughs> I've l- talked so no, much. I'm so this, sorry. This is what this is, is what it's about. Honestly, it's been, it's been so illuminating. I cannot wait to get stuck into every single one of the books that you've spoken about today. And I just really, really appreciate the the depth and um, the insight that you've given. It's been lovely to, to, to get into your mind. I've just loved every second. I love the research. I've loved talking to you. It's just been absolute joy. Thank you. I'm Vic Hope and you've been listening to the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Baileys and produced by Birdline Media. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. <laughs>